Welcome to the reading of Thomas Watson's The Ten Commandments. There are four chapters. Chapter 1 is the introduction. Chapter 2 is the Ten Commandments. Chapter 3, the law and sin. And chapter 4, the way of salvation. Chapter 1, introduction. Section 1, obedience. Quote, Take heed and hearken, O Israel. This day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments. Unquote. Deuteronomy 27, verses 9 and 10. What is the duty which God requireth of man? Obedience to his revealed will. It is not enough to hear God's voice, but we must obey. Obedience is a part of the honor we owe to God. Quote, if then I be a father, where is my honor? Unquote. Malachi 1, verse 6. Obedience carries in it the lifeblood of religion. Quote, Obey the voice of the Lord God, unquote, and do his commandments. Obedience without knowledge is blind, and knowledge without obedience is lame. Rachel was fair to look upon, but being barren, said, quote, Give me children, or I die, unquote. So, if knowledge does not bring forth a child of obedience, it will die. Quote, to obey is better than sacrifice, unquote. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Saul thought it was enough for him to offer sacrifices, though he disobeyed God's command. But, quote, to obey is better than sacrifice, unquote. God disclaims sacrifice if obedience be wanting. Quote, I spake not unto your fathers concerning burnt offerings, but this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, unquote. Jeremiah 7, verse 22. Not but that God did enjoin those religious rites of worship, but the meaning is that he looked chiefly for obedience, without which sacrifice was but devout folly. The end why God has given us his laws is obedience. Quote, Ye shall do my judgments, and keep mine ordinances. Unquote. Leviticus 18, verse 4. Why does a king publish an edict, but that it may be observed? What is the rule of obedience? The written word. That is proper obedience which the word requires. Our obedience must correspond with the word as the copy with the original. To seem to be zealous, if it be not according to the word, is not obedience, but will worship. Popish traditions which have no footing in the word are abominable, and God will say, Kis kasavit haik. Quote, Who hath required this at your hand? Unquote. Isaiah 1, verse 12. The apostle condemns the worshipping of angels, which had a show of humility. Colossians 2, verse 18. The Jews might say that they were loath to be so bold as to go to God in their own persons. They would be more humble and prostrate themselves before the angels, and desire them to present their petitions to God. But this show of humility was hateful to God because there was no word to warrant it. What are the ingredients of our obedience that make it acceptable? First, it must be cum animi prolubio, free and cheerful, or it is penance, not sacrifice. Quote, if you be willing and obedient, unquote, Isaiah 1, verse 19. Though we serve God with weakness, it may be with willingness. You love to see your servants go cheerfully about their work. Under the law, God will have a free will offering. Deuteronomy 16, verse 10. Hypocrites obey God grudgingly and against their will, facer bonum, but not avele. They do good, but not willingly. Cain brought his sacrifice, but not his heart. It is a true rule. Quisquid cor non facit non fit. 
What the heart does not do is not done. Willingness is the soul of obedience. God sometimes accepts of willingness without the work, but never of the work without willingness. Cheerfulness shows that there is love in the duty, and love is to our services what the sun is to fruit. It mellows and ripens them, and makes them come off with a better relish. Second, obedience must be devout and fervent. Quote, fervent in spirit, unquote, etc. Romans 12, verse 11. Que ebelit pre adore. As water that boils over, so the heart must boil over with hot affections in the service of God. The glorious angels who, for burning in fervor and devotion, are called seraphims, are chosen by God to serve Him in heaven. The snail under the law was unclean, because a dull, slothful creature. Obedience without fervency is like a sacrifice without fire. Why should not our obedience be lively and fervent? God deserves the flower and strength of our affections. Domitian would not have his statue carved in wood or iron, but made of gold. Lively affections make golden services. It is fervency that makes obedience acceptable. Elijah was fervent in spirit, and his prayer opened and shut heaven. And again he prayed, and fire fell on his enemies. 2 Kings 1 verse 10 Elijah's prayer fetched fire from heaven, because being fervent, it carried fire up to heaven. Quisquid decorum ex fide proficitur. Augustine. Third, obedience must be extensive. It must reach to all God's commands. Quote, then shall I not be ashamed, or, as it is in the Hebrew, lo ehosh, blush, when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Unquote. Psalm 119, verse 6. Quisquid propter deum fit aquilater fit. All God's requirements demand equal effort. There is a stamp of divine authority upon all God's commands, and if I obey one precept because God commands, I must obey all. True obedience runs through all duties of religion, as the blood through all the veins, or the sun through all the signs of the zodiac. A good Christian makes gospel piety and moral equity kiss each other. Herein some discover their hypocrisy. They will obey God in some things which are more facile, and may raise their repute, but other things they leave undone. Quote, One thing thou lackest. Unquote. Unum deist. Mark 10, verse 21. Herod would hear John Baptist, but not leave his incest. Some will pray, but not give alms. Others will give alms, but not pray. Quote, Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, unquote. Matthew 23, verse 23. The badger has one foot shorter than the other, so these are shorter in some duties than in others. God likes not such partial servants who will do some part of the work he sets them about, and leave the other undone. Fourth, obedience must be sincere. We must aim at the glory of God in it. Finis specificat axionem. In religion, the end is all. The end of our obedience must not be to stop the mouth of conscience or to gain applause or preferment, but that we may grow more like God and bring more glory to Him. Quote, Do all to the glory of God. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. That which has spoiled many glorious actions and made them lose their reward is that man's aims have been wrong. The Pharisees gave alms, but blew a trumpet that they might have the glory of men. Matthew 6, verse 2. Alms should shine, but not blaze. 
Jehud did well in destroying the Baal worshippers, and God commended him for it. But, because his aims were not good, for he aimed at settling himself in the kingdom, God looked upon it as no better than murder. Quote, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Unquote. Hosea 1, verse 4. Oh, let us look to our ends in obedience. It is possible the action may be right and not the heart. Second Chronicles 25, verse 2. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Two things are chiefly to be eyed in obedience, the principle and the end. Though a child of God shoots short in his obedience, he takes the right aim. Fifth, obedience must be in and through Christ. Quote, he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Unquote. Ephesians 1, verse 6. Not our obedience, but Christ's merits procure acceptance. In every part of worship, we must present Christ to God in the arms of our faith. Unless we serve God thus, in hope and confidence of Christ's merits, we rather provoke him than please him. As when King Uzziah would offer incense without a priest, God was angry with him and struck him with leprosy. Second Chronicles 26, verse 20. So, when we do not come to God in and through Christ, we offer up incense to him without a priest. And what can we expect but severe rebukes? Sixth, obedience must be constant. Quote, Blessed is he that doeth righteousness at all times. Unquote. Psalm 106, verse 3. True obedience is not like a high color in a fit, but it is a right complexion. It is like the fire on the altar which was always kept burning. Leviticus 6, verse 13. Hypocrite's obedience is but for a season. It is like plastering work which is soon washed off. But true obedience is constant. Though we meet with affliction, we must go on in our obedience. Quote, the righteous shall hold on this way. Unquote. Job 17, verse 9. We have vowed constancy. We have vowed to renounce the pomps and vanities of the world and to fight under Christ's banner to death. When a servant has entered into covenant with his master and the indentures are sealed, he cannot go back. He must serve out his time. So there are indentures drawn in baptism, and in the Lord's Supper the indentures are renewed and sealed on our part, that we will be faithful and constant in our obedience. Therefore we must imitate Christ, who became obedient unto death. Philippians 2, verse 8. The crown is set upon the head of perseverance. Quote, he that keepeth my works unto the end, I will give him the morning star. Unquote. Revelation 2, verses 26 and 28. Use 1. This condemns those who live in contradiction to the text, and have cast off the yoke of obedience. Quote, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Unquote. Jeremiah 44, verse 16. God bids men pray in their family, but they live in the total neglect of it. He bids them sanctify the Sabbath, but they follow their pleasures on that day. He bids them abstain from the appearance of sin, but they do not abstain from the act. They live in the act of revenge and in the act of uncleanness. This is a high contempt of God. It is rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Whence is it that men do not obey God? They know their duty, but do it not. First, the not obeying God is for want of faith. Quis credit Quote, Who hath believed our report? Unquote. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Did men believe sin were so bitter that hell followed at the heels of it, would they go on in sin? 
Did they believe there was such a reward for the righteous that godliness was gain? Would they not pursue it? But they are atheists, not fully brought into the belief of these things. Hence it is that they obey not. Satan's masterpiece, his drawnet by which he drags millions to hell, is to keep them in infidelity. He knows, if he can, but keep them from believing the truth. He is sure to keep them from obeying it. Second, the not obeying God is for want of self-denial. God commands one thing, and men's lusts command another, and they will rather die than deny their lusts. If lust cannot be denied, God cannot be obeyed. Use 2. Obey God's voice. This is the beauty of a Christian. What are the great arguments or incentives to obedience? First, obedience makes us precious to God, his favorites. Quote, if you will obey my voice, ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Unquote. Ye shall be my portion, my jewels, the apple of mine eye. Unquote. Exodus 19, verse 5. Quote, I will give kingdoms for your ransom. Unquote. Isaiah 43, verse 3. Second, there is nothing lost by obedience. To obey God's will is the way to have our will. First, would we have a blessing in our estates? Let us obey God. Quote, if thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord to do all his commandments, blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Unquote. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1, 3, and 5. To obey is the best way to thrive in our estates. Second, would we have a blessing in our souls? Let us obey God. Quote, obey, and I will be your God. Unquote. Jeremiah 7, verse 23. My spirit shall be your guide, sanctifier, and comforter. Christ, quote, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, unquote. Hebrews 5, verse 9. While we please God, we please ourselves. While we give him the duty, he gives us the dowry. We are apt to say, as Amaziah, quote, What shall we do for the hundred talents, unquote. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 9. You lose nothing by obeying. The obedient son has the inheritance settled on him. Obey, and you shall have a kingdom. Quote, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Unquote. Luke 12, verse 32. Third, what a sin is disobedience. First, it is irrational sin. We are not able to stand it out in defiance against God. Quote, are we stronger than he? Unquote. Will the sinner go to measure arms with God? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 22. He is the Father Almighty, who can command legions. If we have no strength to resist him, it is irrational to disobey him. It is irrational, as it is against all law and equity. We have our daily subsistence from him. In him we live and move. Is it not just that as we live by him, we should live to him? That as he gives us our allowance, so we should give him our allegiance? Second, it is a destructive sin. Quote, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not the gospel. Unquote. Second Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8. He who refuses to obey God's will in commanding shall be sure to obey his will in punishing. While the sinner thinks to slip the knot of obedience, he twists the cord of his own damnation, and he perishes without excuse. Quote, the servant which knew his Lord's will, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Unquote. Luke 12, verse 47. God will say, quote, Why did you not obey? 
you knew how to do good, but did not. Therefore, your blood is upon your own head." Unquote. What means shall we use that we may obey? First, serious consideration. Consider God's commands are not grievous. He commands nothing unreasonable. 1 John 5, verse 3. It is easier to obey the commands of God than sin. The commands of sin are burdensome. Let a man be under the power of any lust, how he tires himself, what hazards he runs, even to endangering his health and soul, that he may satisfy his lusts. What tedious journeys did Antiochus Epiphanes take in persecuting the Jews? Quote, they weary themselves to commit iniquity, unquote. And are not God's commands more easy to obey? Chrysostom says, Virtue is easier than vice. Temperance is less burdensome than drunkenness. Some have gone with less pains to heaven than others to hell. God commands nothing but what is beneficial. Quote, and now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to keep his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good? Unquote. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. To obey God is not so much our duty as our privilege. His commands carry meat in the mouth of them. He bids us repent, and why? That our sins may be blotted out. Acts 3, verse 19. He commands us to believe, and why? That we may be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. There is love in every command as if a king should bid one of his subjects dig in a gold mine and then take the gold to himself. Second, earnest supplication. Implore the help of the Spirit to carry you on in obedience. God's Spirit makes obedience easy and delightful. If the lodestone draw the iron, it is not hard for it to move. So if God's Spirit quicken and draw the heart, it is not hard to obey. When a gale of the Spirit blows, we go full sail in obedience turn his promise into a prayer quote, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes unquote. Ezekiel 36 verse 27 the promise encourages us the spirit enables us to obey section 2 love the rule of obedience being the moral law comprehended in the Ten Commandments the next question is what is the sum of the Ten Commandments the sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. Quote, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Unquote. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The duty called for is love, yea, the strength of love, quote, with all thy heart. Unquote. God will lose none of our love. Love is the soul of religion, and that which constitutes a real Christian. Love is the queen of graces. It shines and sparkles in God's eye, as the precious stones on the breastplate of Aaron. What is love? It is a holy fire kindled in the affections, whereby a Christian is carried out strongly after God as the supreme good. What is the antecedent of love to God? The antecedent of love is knowledge. The Spirit shines upon the understanding and discovers the beauties of wisdom, holiness, and mercy in God. And these are the lodestone to entice and draw out love to God. Ignati nulla cupido. Such as know not God cannot love him. If the sun be set in the understanding, there must needs be night in the affections. Wherein doth the formal nature of love consist? The nature of love consists in delighting in an object. Complacentia amata sin amato. 
The lover's delight is in his beloved, Aquinas. This is loving God to take delight in him. Quote, delight thyself also in the Lord. Unquote. Psalm 37, verse 4. As a bride delights herself in her jewels, grace changes a Christian's aims and delights. How must our love to God be qualified? First, if it be a sincere love, we love God with all our heart. Quote, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Unquote. God will have the whole heart. He must not divide our love between him and sin. The true mother would not have the child divided, nor will God have the heart divided. It must be the whole heart. Second, we must love God, prompter say, for himself, for his own intrinsic excellencies. We must love him for his loveliness. Meretricious est amor plus annulum quam sponsum amare. Quote, it is a harlot's love to love the portion more than the person. Unquote. Hypocrites love God because he gives them corn and wine. We must love God for himself, for those shining perfections which are in him. Gold is loved for itself. Third, we must love God with all our might in the Hebrew text, our vehemency. We must love God, koad passe, as much as we are able. Christians should be like seraphims burning in holy love. We can never love God so much as he deserves. The angels in heaven cannot love God so much as he deserves. Fourth, loved God must be active in its sphere. Love is an industrious affection. It sets the head studying for God, hands working, feet running in the ways of his commandments. It is called the labor of love. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 Mary Magdalene loved Christ and poured her ointments on him. We think we never do enough for the person whom we love. Fifth, Love to God must be superlative. God is the essence of beauty, a whole paradise of delight, and he must have a priority in our love. Our love to God must be above all things besides, as the oil swims above the water. We must love God above estate and relations. Great is the love to relations. There is a story in the French Academy of a daughter who, when her father was condemned to die by hunger, gave him suck with her own breasts. But our love to God must be above father and mother. Matthew 10, verse 37. We may give the creature the milk of our love, but God must have the cream. The spouse keeps the juice of her pomegranates for Christ. Sixth, our love to God must be constant like the fire which the Vestal Virgins kept in Rome, which did not go out. Love must be like the motion of the pulse, which beats as long as there is life. Quote, Many waters cannot quench love, unquote not the waters of persecution. Quote, Rooted in love, unquote, Ephesians 3, verse 17. A branch withers that does not grow on a root, so love, that it may not die, must be well rooted. What are the visible signs of our love to God? If we love God, our desire will be after Him. Quote, the desire of our soul is to thy name, unquote, Isaiah 26, verse 8. He who loves God breathes after communion with him. Quote, My soul thirsteth for the living God. Unquote. Psalm 42, verse 2. Persons in love desire to be often conferring together. He who loves God desires to be much in his presence. He loves the ordinances. They are the glass where the glory of God is resplendent. In the ordinances we meet with him whom our souls love. We have God's smiles and whispers and some foretaste of heaven. Such as have no desire after ordinances have no love to God. 
The second visible sign is that he who loves God cannot find contentment in anything without him. Give a hypocrite who pretends to love God corn and wine, and he can be content without God. But a soul fired with love to God cannot be without him. Lovers faint away if they have not the sight of the object loved. A gracious soul can do without health, but cannot do without God, who is the health of his countenance. Psalm 43, verse 5. If God should say to a soul that entirely loves him, quote, Take thy ease, swim in pleasure, solace thyself in the delights of the world, but thou shalt not enjoy my presence, unquote, this would not content it. Nay, if God should say, quote, I will let thee be taken up to heaven, but I will retire into another room, and thou shalt not see my face, unquote, it would not content the soul. It is hell to be without God. The philosopher says there can be no gold without the influence of the sun. Certainly there can be no golden joy in the soul without God's sweet presence and influence. The third visible sign is that he who loves God hates that which would separate between him and God, and that is sin. Sin makes God hide his face. It is like an incendiary which parts chief friends. Therefore, the keenness of a Christian's hatred is set against it. Quote, I hate every false way, unquote. Psalm 119, verse 128. Antipathies can never be reconciled. One cannot love health, but he must hate poison. So we cannot love God, but we must hate sin, which would destroy our communion with him. The fourth visible sign is sympathy. Friends that love grieve for the evils which befall each other. Homer, describing Agamemnon's grief, when he was forced to sacrifice his daughter, brings in all his friends weeping with him and accompanying him to the sacrifice in mourning. Lovers grieve together. If we have true love in our heart to God, we cannot but grieve for those things which grieve him. We shall lay to heart his dishonors, the luxury, drunkenness, contempt of God, and religion. Quote, rivers of waters run down mine eyes, unquote, etc., Psalm 119, verse 136. Some speak of the sins of others and laugh at them, but they surely have no love to God who can laugh at that which grieves his spirit. Does he love his father who can laugh to hear him reproached? The fifth visible sign is that he who loves God labors to render him lovely to others. He not only admires God, but speaks in his praises that he may allure and draw others to be in love with him. She that is in love will commend her lover. The lovesick spouse extols Christ. She makes a panegyrical oration of his worth, that she might persuade others to be in love with him. Quote, his head is as the most fine gold, unquote. True love to God cannot be silent. It will be eloquent in setting forth his renown. There is no better sign of loving God than to make him appear lovely and to draw proselytes to him. The sixth visible sign is that he who loves God weeps bitterly for his absence. Mary comes weeping, quote, They have taken away my Lord, unquote, John 20, verse 13. One cries, quote, My health is gone, unquote. Another, quote, My estate is gone, unquote. But he who is a lover of God cries out, quote, My God is gone. I cannot enjoy him whom I love, unquote. What can all worldly comforts do when once God is absent? It is like a funeral banquet, where there is much meat, but no cheer. Quote, I went mourning without the sun, unquote. Job 30, verse 28. If Rachel mourned greatly for the loss of her children, what veil or pencil can shadow out the sorrow of that Christian who has lost God's sweet presence? Such a soul pours forth floods of tears. 
and while it is lamenting, seems to say thus to God, quote, Lord, thou art in heaven, hearing the melodious songs and triumph of angels. But I sit here in the valley of tears, weeping because thou art gone. Oh, when wilt thou come to me, and revive me with the light of thy countenance? Or, Lord, if thou wilt not come to me, let me come to thee, where I shall have a perpetual smile of thy face in heaven, and shall never more complain, quote, My beloved hath withdrawn himself, unquote. The seventh visible sign is that he who loves God is willing to do and suffer for him. He subscribes to God's commands. He submits to his will. He subscribes to his commands. If God bids him mortify sin, love his enemies, be crucified to the world, he obeys. It is a vain thing for a man to say he loves God and slight his commands. He submits to his will. If God would have him suffer for him, he does not dispute but obeys. Quote, love endureth all things. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. Love made Christ suffer for us, and love will make us suffer for him. It is true that every Christian is not a martyr, but he has a spirit of martyrdom in him. He has a disposition of mind to suffer if God call him to it. Quote, I am ready to be offered, unquote, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Not only the sufferings were ready for Paul, but he was ready for the sufferings. Origen chose rather to live despised in Alexandria than with Plotinus to deny the faith and be great in the prince's favor. Revelation 12, verse 11. Many say they love God, but will not suffer the loss of anything for him. If Christ should have said to us, quote, I love you well, you are dear to me, but I cannot suffer for you, I cannot lay down my life for you, unquote, we should have questioned his love very much. And may not the Lord question ours when we pretend love to him, but will endure nothing for his sake. Use 1. What shall we say to those who have not a dram of love in their hearts to God? They have their life from him, yet do not love him. He spreads their table every day, yet they do not love him. Sinners dread God as a judge, but do not love him as a father. All the strength in the angels cannot make the heart love God. Judgments will not do it. Omnipotent grace only can make a stony heart melt in love. How sad is it to be void of love to God. When the body is cold and has no heat, it is a sign of death. So he is spiritually dead who has no heat of love in his heart to God. Shall such live with God that do not love him? Will God lay an enemy in his bosom? They shall be bound in chains of darkness who will not be drawn with cords of love. Use 2. Let us be persuaded to love God with all our heart and might. Oh, let us take our love off from other things and place it upon God. Love is the heart of religion, the fat of the offering. It is the grace which Christ inquires most after. Quote, Simon, lovest thou me? Unquote. John 21, verse 15. Love makes all our services acceptable. It is the musk that perfumes them. It is not so much duty as love to duty God delights in. Therefore, serving and loving God are put together. Isaiah 56, verse 6. It is better to love Him than to serve Him. Obedience without love is like wine without the Spirit. Oh, then, be persuaded to love God with all your heart and might. First, it is nothing but your love that God desires. The Lord might have demanded your children to be offered in sacrifice. He might have bid you cut and lance yourselves, or lie in hell a while. But he only desires your love. He would only have this flower. Is it a hard request to love God? Was ever any debt easier paid than this? Is it any labor for the wife to love her husband? Love is delightful. Non potest amor es. 
dulcis non es. Love must by definition be sweet. Bernard, what is there in our love that God should desire it? Why should a king desire the love of a woman that is in debt and diseased? God does not need our love. There are angels enough in heaven to adore and love him. What is God the better for our love? It adds not the least cubit to his essential blessedness. He does not need our love, and yet he seeks it. Why does he desire us to give him our heart? Proverbs 23, verse 26. Not that he needs our heart, but that he may make it better. Second, great will be our advantage if we love God. He does not court our love that we should lose by it. Quote, I have not seen nor ear heard the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. If you will love him, you shall have such a reward as exceeds your faith. He will betroth you to himself in the dearest love. Quote, I will betroth thee unto me forever in loving kindness and in mercies. Unquote. Hosea 2, verse 19. Quote, the Lord thy God will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Unquote. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. If you love God, he will interest you in all his riches and dignities. He will give you heaven and earth for your dowry. He will set a crown on your head. Vespasian the emperor gave a great reward to a woman who came to him and professed she loved him. But God gives a crown of life to them that love him. James 1, verse 12. Third, love is the only grace that shall live with us in heaven. In heaven we shall need no repentance because we shall have no sin. No faith because we shall see God face to face. But love to God shall abide forever. Quote, love never faileth. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. How should we nourish this grace which shall outlive all the graces and run parallel with eternity? Fourth, our love to God is a sign of his love to us. Quote, we love him because he first loved us. Unquote. 1 John 4, verse 19. By nature we have no love to God. We have hearts of stone. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And how can any love be in hearts of stone? Our loving him is from his loving us. If the glass burn, it is because the sun has shone on it. So if our hearts burn in love, it is a sign the sun of righteousness has shone upon us. What shall we do in order to love God aright? First, wait on the preaching of the word. As faith comes by hearing, so does love. The word sets forth God in his incomparable excellencies. It deciphers and pencils him out in all his glory, and a sight of his beauty inflames love. Second, beg of God that he will give you a heart to love him. When King Solomon asked wisdom of God, it pleased the Lord. 1 Kings 3, verse 10. So, when thou criest to God, Lord, give me a heart to love thee. It is my grief, I can love thee no more. Surely this prayer will please the Lord, and he will pour out his spirit upon thee. His golden oil will make the lamp of thy love burn bright. Third, you who have love to God, keep it flaming upon the altar of your heart. Love, like fire, is ever ready to go out. Quote, Thou hast left thy first love. Unquote. Revelation 2, verse 4. Through neglect of duty, or too much love of the world, our love to God will cool. Oh, preserve your love to Him. As you would be careful to preserve the natural heat of your body, so be careful to preserve the heat of love to God in your soul. Love is like oil to the wheels. It quickens us in God's service. When you find love abate and cool, use all means to quicken it. When the fire is going out, you throw on fuel. 
So, when the flame of love is going out, make use of the ordinances as sacred fuel to keep the fire of your love burning. Section 3. The Preface to the Commandments. Quote, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Unquote, etc. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. What is the preface to the Ten Commandments? The preface to the Ten Commandments is, quote, I am the Lord thy God. Unquote. The preface to the preface is, quote, God spake all these words, saying, unquote, etc. This is like the sounding of a trumpet before a solemn proclamation. Other parts of the Bible are said to be uttered by the mouth of the holy prophets, Luke 1, verse 70. But here, God spake in his own person. How are we to understand that, God spake, since he has no bodily parts or organs of speech? God made some intelligible sound, or formed a voice in the air, which to the Jews was as though God himself was speaking to them. Observe. First, the lawgiver. Quote, God spake. Unquote. There are two things requisite in a lawgiver. First, wisdom. Laws are founded upon reason, and he must be wise that makes laws. God, in this respect, is most fit to be a lawgiver. Quote, he is wise in heart. Unquote. Job 9, verse 4. He has a monopoly of wisdom. Quote, the only wise God, unquote, 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Therefore, he is the fittest to enact and constitute laws. Second, authority. If a subject makes laws, however wise they may be, they want the stamp of authority. God has the supreme power in his hand. He gives being to all, and he who gives men their lives has most right to give them their laws. Second, the law itself, quote, all these words, unquote, that is, all the words of the moral law, which is usually styled the Decalogue, are Ten Commandments. It is called the moral law because it is the rule of life and manners. The scripture, as Chrysostom says, is a garden, and the moral law is the chief flower in it. It is a banquet, and the moral law is the chief dish in it. The moral law is perfect. Quote, the law of the Lord is perfect. Unquote. Psalm 19, verse 7. It is an exact model and platform of religion. It is the standard of truth, the judge of controversies, the pole star to direct us to heaven. Quote, the commandment is a lamp, unquote. Proverbs 6, verse 23. Though the moral law be not a Christ to justify us, it is a rule to instruct us. The moral law is unalterable. It remains still in force. Though the ceremonial and judicial laws are abrogated, the moral law delivered by God's own mouth is of perpetual use in the church. It was written in tables of stone to show its perpetuity. The moral law is very illustrious and full of glory. God put glory upon it in the manner of its promulgation. First, the people before the moral law was delivered were to wash their clothes, whereby, as by a type, God required the sanctifying of their ears and hearts to receive the law. Exodus 19, verse 10. Second, there were bounds set that none might touch the mount which was to produce in the people reverence to the law. Exodus 19, verse 12. Third, God wrote the law with his own finger, which was such an honor to put upon the moral law as we read of no other such writing. Exodus 31, verse 18. God, by some mighty operation, made the law legible in letters, as if it had been written with his own finger. Fourth, God's putting the law in the ark to be kept was another signal mark of honor put upon it. The ark was the cabinet in which he put the Ten Commandments as ten jewels. Fifth, at the delivery of the moral law, many angels were in attendance. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. A parliament of angels was called, and God himself was the speaker.
use one. Here we may notice God's goodness, who has not left us without a law. He often sets down the giving of his commandments as a demonstration of his love. Quote, he hath not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Unquote. Psalm 147, verse 20. Quote, Thou gavest them true laws, good statutes, and commandments. Unquote. Nehemiah 9, verse 13. What a strange creature would man be if he had no law to direct him. There would be no living in the world. We should have none born but Ishmael's. Every man's hand would be against his neighbor. Man would grow wild if he had not affliction to tame him, and the moral law to guide him. The law of God is a hedge to keep us within the bounds of sobriety and piety. Use 2. If God spake all these words of the moral law, then it condemns, first, the Marcionites and Manichees, who speak lightly, yea, blasphemously, of the moral law, who say it is below a Christian, it is carnal, which the apostle confutes when he says, quote, The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, unquote. Romans 7, verse 14. Second, the antinomians, who will not admit the moral law to be a rule to a believer. We say not that he is under the curse of the law, but the commands. We say not the moral law is a Christ, but it is a star to lead to Christ. We say not that it saves, but sanctifies. They who cast God's law behind their backs, God will cast their prayers behind his back. They who will not have the law to rule them, shall have the law to judge them. Third, the papists, who, as if God's law were imperfect, and when he spake all these words he did not speak enough, add to it their canons and traditions. This is to tax God's wisdom, as if he knew not how to make his own law. This surely is a high provocation. Quote, if any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Unquote. Revelation 22, verse 18. As it is a great evil to add anything to a man's sealed will, so much more to add anything to the law which God himself spake and wrote with his own fingers. Use 3. If God spake all the words of the moral law, several duties are enjoined upon us. First, if God spake all these words, then we must hear all these words. The words which God speaks are too precious to be lost. As we would have God hear all our words when we pray, so we must hear all his words when he speaks. We must not be as the deaf adder, which stoppeth her ears. He that stops his ears when God cries shall cry himself and not be heard. Second, if God spake all these words, then we must attend to them with reverence. Every word of the moral law is an oracle from heaven. God himself is the preacher which calls for reverence. If a judge gives a charge upon the bench, all attend with reverence. In the moral law, God himself gives the charge, quote, God spake all these words, unquote. With what veneration, therefore, should we attend? Moses put off his shoes from his feet in token of reverence when God was about to speak to him, Exodus 3, verses 5 and 6. Third, if God spake all these words of the moral law, then we must remember them. Surely all God speaks is worth remembering. Those words are weighty which concern salvation. Quote, it is not a vain thing for you because it is your life. Unquote. Deuteronomy 32 verse 47. Our memory should be like the chest in the ark where the law was kept. God's oracles are ornaments, and shall we forget them? Quote, Can a maid forget her ornaments? Unquote. Jeremiah 2 verse 32. Fourth, if God spake all these words, then believe them. See the name of God written upon every commandment. The heathens, in order to gain credit to their laws, 
reported that they were inspired by the gods at Rome. The moral law fetches its pedigree from heaven. Hipsa dixit. God spake all these words. Shall we not give credit to the God of heaven? How would the angel confirm the women in the resurrection of Christ? Quote, Lo, said he, I have told you. Unquote. Matthew 28, verse 7. I speak in the word of an angel. Much more should the moral law be believed when it comes to us in the word of God. Quote, God spake all these words. Unquote. Unbelief innervates the virtue of God's word and makes it prove abortive. Quote, the word did not profit, not being mixed with faith. Unquote. Hebrews 4, verse 2. Eve gave more credit to the devil when he spake than she did to God. Fifth, if God spake all these words, then love the commandments. Quote, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Unquote. Psalm 119, verse 97. Quote, Consider how I love thy precepts. Unquote. Psalm 119, verse 159. The moral law is the copy of God's will, our spiritual directory. It shows us what sins to avoid, what duties to pursue. The Ten Commandments are a chain of pearls to adorn us. They are our treasury to enrich us. They are more precious than lands of spices, or rocks of diamonds. Quote, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Unquote. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of God has truth and goodness in it. Nehemiah 9, verse 13. Truth, for God spake it, and goodness, for there is nothing the commandment enjoins, but it is for our good. O oh, then, let this command our love. Sixth, if God spake all these words, then teach your children the law of God. Quote, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Unquote. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. He who is godly is both a diamond and a lodestone a diamond for the sparkling of his grace, and a lodestone for his attractive virtue in drawing others to the love of God's precepts. Vir bonus magis alias protus quam sibi. A good man benefits others more than himself. You that are parents, discharge your duty. Though you cannot impart grace to your children, yet you may impart knowledge that your children know the commandments of God. Quote, ye shall teach them your children. Unquote. Deuteronomy 11, verse 19. You are careful to leave your children a portion. Leave the oracles of heaven with them. Instruct them in the law of God. If God spake all these words, you may well speak them over again to your children. Seventh. If God spake all these words, the moral law must be obeyed. If a king speaks, his word commands allegiance. Much more when God speaks, must his words be obeyed. Some will obey partially, obey some commandments, not others. Like a plow, which, when it comes to a stiff piece of earth, makes a balk. But God, who spake all the words of the moral law, will have all obeyed. He will not dispense with the breach of one law. Princes, indeed, for special reasons, sometimes dispense with penal statutes, and will not enforce the severity of the law. But God, who spake all these words, binds men with a subpoena to yield obedience to every law. This condemns the Church of Rome, which, instead of obeying the whole moral law, blots out one commandment and dispenses with others. They leave the second commandment out of their catechism because it makes against images, and to fill up the number of ten, they divide the tenth commandment into two. Thus they incur that dreadful condemnation, quote, If any man shall take away from the words of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, unquote. 
Revelation 22, verse 19. As they blot out one commandment and cut the knot which they cannot untie, so they dispense with other commandments. They dispense with the sixth commandment, making murder meritorious in case of propagating the Catholic cause. They dispense with the seventh commandment, wherein God forbids adultery. For the Pope dispenses with the sin of uncleanness, yea, incest, by paying fines and sums of money into his coffer. No wonder the Pope takes men off their loyalty to kings and princes when he teaches them disloyalty to God. Some of the Papists say expressly in their writings that the Pope has power to dispense with the laws of God and can give men license to break the commandments of the Old and New Testament. That such a religion should ever again get foot in England, the Lord in mercy prevent. If God spake all the commandments, then we must obey all. He who breaks the hedge of the commandments, a serpent will bite him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.